didn't watch and, and you don't know how, okay, there's some younger folks in here that can help you older folks, but you might want to go and, and listen to Wednesday night's sermon, okay, because Wednesday night's sermon, uh, in my humble opinion, was probably my favorite sermon of the whole year, okay, and it was just the gospel, the gospel message, amen. Uh, before we move on, I think we probably have announcements, right? All right, let me come back here and do some announcements. Agape Fellowship Church schedule and agenda. No evening service tonight due to the holiday. Wednesday, 7-7, midweek impact Wednesday night service. No ladies prayer brunch this week. Thursday, 7-8, Agape Thrift Store is open from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Friday, 7-9, doctrinal, doctrinal discipleship class is at 7 p.m. Saturday, 7-10, men's Bible study breakfast in Caney, 7-30. If you want to ride with me, call me and get a ride. We are leaving at 7. Uh, Sunday, 7-11, next week, worship, 10-30 a.m., fellowship meal following the service is a salad bar, so bring a side or a topping. Discipleship evening service, 6 p.m., Prayers for the Stevens family. Uh, Pastor Gary Stevens passed away. We attended his uh, service yesterday. Um, if you don't know who Pastor Gary is, uh, he's the man that was pastor in Amazing Grace Ministries, Amazing Grace Chapel, which was in this building uh, for quite some time. They were in here almost 14 years, right, in this building. Uh, so... He passed away uh, Wednesday, so be praying for him. Do we want to go ahead and dismiss the kids? All right. Children, 8 and under are dismissed. Oh, 10 and under are dismissed to Children's Church. Praise the Lord. Not that there's a whole big crew of them today, but, hey, makes it easier on the Children's Church workers, right? Uh Prayer request, besides the Stevens family, please please pray for Gail Stevens, pray for Pastor Gary's children and his extended family, uh, be praying for Billy Jack, who has cancer, and also Terry McCartney needs your prayers, and I would add that you just please keep praying for the McCartney family because they just lost a loved one not very long ago their self. Amen. Uh, be praying for those who couldn't make it this morning for whatever reason. We're giving them grace this morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, they had a, they were gracious enough to let me have a vacation, so I'll be gracious enough to not be too hard on them for not being here today. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, before we do anything else, I'm going to remember to pray over the offering, <laughs> and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we ask that you would meet each and every one of these needs, these families, Lord, the Stevens family, the McCartney family, Billy Jack, Lord, uh, Terry. We ask that you would meet every one of these people's needs, Lord, according to your riches and your glory, Lord. We ask that your will would be done in their life and that you would show up just when they need you, God, that you would do everything that is beneficial for them and to draw them closer to you god pray for healing where it is necessary and we pray god for for comfort and peace where it is also needed 
Lord, we ask that you would bless the offering that we have received today, that it would be used for your glory, for your honor, and to the furtherance of your kingdom, that you and the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached to the surrounding area. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm going to start kind of with a recap. But Wednesday, I dealt with the gospel message, okay? And I believe that John chapter 3 surely encapsulates everything that the gospel is meant to be, amen? From the term, you must be born again, which we know also means you must be born from above, amen? Uh, we, we know that the term uh, that God demonstrated his love here in the gospel that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Surely the love of God and the gospel of God has been poured out in this entire chapter. Namely, we can say that Especially from John 3.16 to John 3.21, the gospel is encapsulated within those verses. But it's also encapsulated in what Jesus told Nicodemus when he said, you must be born again. Amen. There's so many times in scripture where they're a lot less detailed than we are. Okay. Paul when he's talking to the Ephesians, just tells them, hey, you're justified by grace through faith. Are you saved, right? He didn't give them this big, long spiel about how this had to happen and this other thing had to happen. We're not the mechanics of salvation anyway. God is the one that works out salvation. Our job is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel that says, let whoever will, let him come. Let him who's thirsty, let him come. Amen? In case you don't know, that's Revelation chapter 22, right? And we're going to get to that. Today we're going to continue and pick up again with John the Baptist. And again, John the Baptist is witnessing and testifying to the Christ. The son of the living God. Surely in this portion of scripture, in this passage, we find the illuminating brilliance of the gospel light burning undimmed and intense as ever. From beginning to end, John 3, John seeks to convey the gospel message and to provoke in readers a moment of clarity, a prodding towards faith and new life. And this morning I pray that you are awakened and drawn to faith in Christ as was the apostle's intent in writing this portion of his letter. So this morning we're going to begin in John chapter 3 starting at verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And there he tarried with them and baptized. And John was also 
baptizing in Anon near Salem. Because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there, were, then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came to John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth. And all men come unto him. Jesus answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. That whole verse right there can preach. Verse 28, or verse 27, excuse me. Verse 27 all by itself could preach a whole sermon on that. Not no man can receive anything from heaven except it's given to him. Amen. No one can, no one can do anything. A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. The arrogance of human beings today is that they're, they're giving God some kind of gift by coming to Christ. The reality is that we bring nothing but our sin and our need to be saved. Amen. That's what we bring to the equation. But I digress. Let me keep going. Verse 28. You are ye yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. And he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, and I must decrease. Probably one of the greatest verses of the Bible. He must increase, and I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. That he that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth. And no man received, receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hands. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us this morning as we rightly divide your word, that you would help us to see the gospel message even in John the Baptist's testimony, especially in these verses that so often we take for granted. I pray, God, that you would help us to see that the Apostle John is giving us this for the very same reason that he gave us Nicodemus's conversation with Christ 
so that we might believe Jesus is the Christ. And by believing in him, we might have life in his name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now I want to start again at verse 22. We're going to break this down because I think sometimes we get to John 3 and we'll read from the beginning of John 3, Nicodemus coming to Jesus and he says what, you know, Jesus tells him you must be born again and, and you must be born of water and of the spirit. And we get to the greatest portion of this chapter, John 3, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. And then we read that and we're so elated with the verses that we read there that we kind of bypass this extra witness that John the Baptist gives of Jesus here, okay? Because we have another instance of John the Baptist declaring who Jesus is, emphatically saying, number one, I'm not the Messiah, again, repeating himself, right? And then telling us, he that believes in the Son has life. He that doesn't believe in the Son will not even see life. Amen? Which lines up with the rest of John's theology because he that's not born of water and the spirit cannot see the kingdom of God, nor can he enter into the kingdom of God. Amen. So we see a correlation even from the apostle John's testimony to the John the Baptist's testimony, how they're agreeing. Amen. So I think this is an important part of scripture that we probably overlook the gospel being preached several times by John the Baptist. Now I want to go to verse 22 and give you just a little bit about the baptism, the baptizing part because we find out later that it isn't necessarily Jesus who's baptizing but his disciples. Amen. Uh, we, we know that Jesus is not the one actually baptizing but it's his disciples that are doing the, bapt the baptizing. And if you go over to John 4, I just want to give you a, a, met, um, a reference here. John 4, uh, we're going to read verse 1 and 2. Now when, the, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Now John gives us the clarity of what's going on here in verse 22 amen so we got to take the whole bible the whole council the whole book of john all in one right so everything john says is for a reason right everything john said is for the reason that he outlines in chapter 20 that you might believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and in believing in him you would re, re uh, you would receive life in his name amen that's the whole purpose that John wrote this book. Uh, I believe that's John 20 and 31, right? Let's go make sure. John 20. I just want to make sure I'm on the right track with that verse. John 20, verse 30, uh, 31. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you may have life in his name. Amen. So John doesn't put this narrative in the scripture 
just so that it fills space, okay? There's not a single point in this Gospel of John that's put in there just so we can go, oh, it was a great climactic moment. And then John put this in just for filler. You know what I mean? Just to tide us over till the next thing that Jesus does, right? Because that's how we often read uh, narratives, right? We often read narratives like we're watching a movie and, and we, we get to a climactic moment and then when we come down, we kind of ignore the stuff in between till we get to the next climactic moment of the movie, right? And if you think about movies that you like, the parts that you like 90% of the time are the very climactic points of the movie. That's why we remember John 3, 16, 17, 18 so readily because it's a climax. It's the, it's the epitome of Jesus telling us that God didn't send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? And it's a climax. And then, and then we, we start coming down, especially the language changing in verse 19 where it says, and this is the condemnation that has come into the world that men love darkness rather than light. And when we start talking about that, most people start to come down from that climactic moment of John 3, 16 to the sobering moment of John 3, 19, 20, and 21. Amen? And then we get to this narrative and we kind of overlook it until the next miracle or the next sermon that Jesus starts preaching, right? But there's several really good nuggets in here that I wanted to pull out for you, okay? Now, John makes a point to tell us that this is before John the Baptist has been put into prison, okay? Which is obviously before what happens in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, when we see John the Baptist immediately thrown into prison in the book of Mark, right? So this, what's going on right here, happened before John the Baptist was put into prison. Now, why is John the Apostle giving you this information? He's giving you a time reference of when these things were taking place. And he's showing you that John the Baptist and Jesus' ministries were overlapping. Why? Because Jesus did not come and preach a different message than John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What was the first thing that was recorded in the book of Matthew that Jesus came out preaching? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen. And then John the Baptist here is giving you the gospel and it's so overlooked. It's so undervalued that I want to give you a little bit that you can put on your plate. And then when you read this in your own personal devotion time or when you're in your own family worship time, you can go, man, look at this. This is a good part of scripture right here. Amen. All scripture is God breathed. Amen. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So this is useful for you, too. Amen. All right. Uh, verse 28. The Baptist assertion, uh, this is from the ESV study Bible. He said the Baptist assertion that he had been sent before the Messiah alludes to the prophecy in Math, uh, Malachi 3.1, which is directly applied to the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, Mark 1, verse 2, and Luke 7.27. What is those verses talking about? Behold, I send my messenger out before you. Right? To prepare the way. Right? 
That's John the Baptist's role. Why is he going through all of this to say, uh, you know, uh, he was uh, before me and I, I just went out. He said, I just went out before him, but he's greater than me. Why is he saying this? Because the light, the witness, the, 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 the person that went out before the Messiah, his work is done now. Amen. He's giving you an end to his ministry. He's letting them know. He's even telling his disciples. He must increase, and I must decrease. Okay? John doesn't, doesn't mean that verse and doesn't take from what he said what the way we take it. Because when coming to Christ, and this is where I'm going to go, the, the attitude of coming to Christ must be an attitude of humility. Amen? Where we are decreased and Christ is increased. Christ is exalted in us and not we ourselves. Amen? Uh, also, uh, verse 29, uh, this reference to the bridegroom. Uh, the bridegroom is obviously Christ, right? He said, uh, let's go read it again. I don't want to mess up what I'm trying to say. Verse 29, he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. So first of all, John is identifying that Jesus is the bridegroom. Right? Not himself. Correct? Jesus, uh, John is saying that Jesus is coming to get his bride. Amen? His elect, his set aside people. Amen? Now watch this. I want you to get this. He says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Now, who is this? The friend of the bridegroom. This is John. John is the friend of the bridegroom. And he says he rejoices at the bridegroom's voice. Now, there was one time when John did this in the womb. Remember that? Mary was pregnant and came to her cousin Elizabeth, who was already six months with child, correct? And upon hearing the salutation of Mary, the Bible says, that the babe in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. Why? Because that baby knew that the Messiah was coming. And John being the friend of the bridegroom, he's saying, I rejoice at hearing the bridegroom, the the voice of the bridegroom. Now, what did he mean by that? He's talking about their ministries are overlapping now. And we're talking about John understanding that his time was over. But he's rejoicing because he, being the friend of the bridegroom, has heard the gospel from the bridegroom himself. Now, I want you to know this is what he's talking about by how he ends this portion. He says, therefore. This joy of mine is now complete. What is he saying? He's saying that I have heard the voice of the Messiah. I've heard the voice of the bridegroom. Amen. When John saw Jesus coming to him in the water, what did he say? Lord, I should be baptized by you. Why did he say that? Because he knew immediately 
this was the bridegroom. And then he says, he must increase and I must decrease. I want to read a, a, a note from my ESB study Bible. It says the father, or excuse me, I'm, I'm way ahead of myself. He must increase, but I must decrease. At this point in salvation history, now the light has come. John 1, 6 through 9. The lamp has done its work. John 5, 35. Talking about John. John being the lamp that lit the way, that, that, that prepared the way of the Lord. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. He's done his job. He must increase. Christ must increase. And I must decrease. I wrote a little note of my own. This is surely the attitude that we all must have coming to Christ. Luke 18, 9 through 14 tells us the story of the Pharisee and the, 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 the publican that goes into the house of the Lord and prays. And that Pharisee went in and he beat his chest and he said, I'm glad I'm not like these tax collectors and sinners or even like this publican. I've done this and I give the tenth of all my goods and I keep the law. Thank God I'm not like this publican. The Bible says that that publican stood afar off and he would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. And he beat his chest. He smote his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is surely the attitude that we must have because Jesus makes a point finishing that story. He says, he that exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. So I see in John's words in my own life now the need as we come and preach the gospel that when people come, they don't come in vain glory thinking that they're adding something to this great, wonderful work of Christ. But they, they come empty, wretched, naked, lonely, knowing that they need God to save them. Luke 18, 9 through 14, teaching emphatically that we must be humbled in, in regard to the work of Christ, in regard to the person of Christ, and in regard to the coming, in coming to Christ. We must realize that we bring nothing into salvation apart from our need to be saved and our inability to save ourselves. Knowing that I must deny myself, take up my cross, and follow me, follow him. Luke 9, 23 says that. Luke 14, 27 through 33 gives a clear-cut example of denying myself, taking up my cross, and following him. Now people go, well, you know, that's part of sanctification. Not according to Jesus. Jesus said, unless you're willing to renounce all that you have and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. It doesn't say you might not. It doesn't say uh, some might fall short. It says you can't do it. You can't even be my disciple 
unless there's a willingness in you to renounce all that you have. He doesn't say he's requiring you to renounce it all. You must be willing to renounce it all and follow him. Salvation is freely offered. Salvation is free and not of your own doing. That is absolutely true. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, By grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? It's the gift of God. Salvation is absolutely 100% free. But according to the verses that we read, or we cited in Luke 9, 23, Luke 14, 27 through 33, it costs you everything. In what way does it cost me? Because I die to myself, to my will, to my wants, to my need. Right? Come on, somebody. This is the gospel. This isn't, this isn't my words. This is Jesus' words. Matter of fact, I'm going to go read it to you so you know that I'm not. And if you got one of them fancy King James Bibles that's got the red letters, you'll see it's in red letters. Amen. My, my fancy King James Bible doesn't have the fancy King James red uh, uh, type in here. But I can tell you with all assurance, this is Jesus talking. Amen. Who's got a red letter edition? Great, is it in red letters? Uh, chapter Luke 14, chapter uh, 14, verse, I lost my place, 27. Luke 14, 27. Red letters. Yeah, almost that whole, yeah, that whole chapter. Now he says, in, starting in verse 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I want you to notice the emphatic nature of this text. He says, you cannot. You lack the ability if in you there is not a willingness to deprive yourself, deny yourself, and take up the cross and follow him. If that's not in you, then you are not born again. Now he, he goes on and he emphatically teaches this over and over in here. He said, for which of you, intending to build a tower, setteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath the sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to make war against another king? setteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to beat him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is a great way off and he sendeth out an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Now watch this. He, he, he reemphasizes what he said in verse 27, starting here at verse 33. So likewise, whoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. He ends with an implication saying, if this isn't in you, then you can't be my disciple. He didn't say that you never could. He's saying the condition upon being a disciple is that this must be in you. Amen? 
So the born-again experience and salvation is absolutely offered freely, and it is absolutely without cost. But when I come to Christ and I am born again, it does cost me everything because it costs me my leadership in my own life. Why? Because now my life is not my own. Why? Because I've been bought with a price, the Bible says. Amen? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says that I am no longer my own. I have been bought with a price. Amen? Coming to Christ, being saved by Christ changes you. John 8.36, which is the title of this message. If you want to flip over there real quick, we're going to read John 8.36. Because we have this idea that when Jesus Christ comes into our life, that he kind of sets me free. And he kind of helps me out. Right? John 8, 36. I'm going to read this from the ESV. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the title for my message this morning, because John the Baptist is talking about this very subject, and we'll get to it. He whom the Son sets free. That's the title for this message. Why? Because today we're talking about Independence Day on Independence Day, and we're talking about freedom, and the only real true sense of freedom comes from God himself, who absolutely led the founders of this country to, in the name of God, by the principles laid out in Scripture, put together this nation as a bastion of freedom. But Christ offers so much more than political, social freedom. Because although we're free to do what we want in America, and although we're free to say what we want, and we're free to, all these freedoms that we have are all restricted by the fact that we're all in sin and we're still in bondage. Amen? Accept Christ. Because he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become brand new. Amen? So when we talk about Jesus setting us free, he doesn't just come in and go, well, I took the cuffs off of you. Now you got to do the rest. That's not how it works. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete that work until the coming of the Lord. Amen. Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of my faith. Amen. Jesus does not just come and set you free from a little bit. He doesn't just come and, and, and take the, the handcuffs off you, but leave the jail cell door locked. Amen? 
or vice versa. He doesn't come and open the jail cell door and leave you handcuffed. Amen? He sets you free. Let's go to verse 31 here in John 3. He who is from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. Now John has already said he must increase and I must decrease. And then he makes an emphatic statement after that saying the one that comes from above is above all things. Amen. This Jesus Christ that we already know came from the Father. Amen. This John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Amen. So we know that this Jesus is not just some prophet. He's not just some guy. John is emphatically telling us that He is above all things. Amen. Why is he saying that? Because he just got through saying, he must increase and I must decrease. And then he looks at his disciples and those Pharisees, Jews that are around him, he says, he's above everything. Amen? Finally, we get to verse 32 and he says, he bears witness to what, uh, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. What is this? What is this? He bears witness to that which he's seen and heard. He's talking about Jesus living and being God with the Father in eternity past has seen all the plans of God, knows the plan from the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ isn't just coming to earth to start some new thing that was thought up just a week ago, but he's coming to do something that had been already done, finished in the mind of God from the foundation of the world. Amen. And he speaks the words of God. Why? Because he is God. Amen? Now tell me that John the Baptist isn't preaching the gospel right here, okay? I want to read a little note that I found in this Reformation Heritage Study Bible. And it's very, very, very good portion. It says Christ is above all. For his teaching is based on what he has seen and heard as the Son of God in heaven. That is the everlasting, infallible counsels of Almighty God. Christ, the whole, uh, excuse me, Christ has the Holy Spirit dwelling in him in complete fullness and not in measure. As the Son of God, Jesus is loved by the Father and has all authority given to him. To believe in Christ alone for salvation is to be sure of heaven. To reject Christ is to be sure that you stand under the wrath and displeasure of God. Isn't that this what John is saying as he's finishing this up? Talking to these Pharisees? Talking to his disciples? Verse 32, he says he bears witness of what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Well, we know that not everyone received his testimony, right? And a large majority of Israel rejected Christ, right? But there were people who did believe. Amen? Remember John 1? He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. 
But to as many as did receive him, gave him the power, gave he them the power to become the sons of God. Amen. Even to them that believe on his name. Amen. And that's me and you, by the way, just in case you don't know. Because those who were living in those days didn't just believe in his name. They believed in his testimony because they heard the gospel directly from the author of the gospel. They heard the gospel directly from the person who was about to purchase, about to ransom them, about to save them. They heard it from the horse's mouth. We don't. We believe on his name. We believe on the testimony of the apostles. Amen? Namely, Peter, John, Paul. Amen? Those apostles. Now lastly, verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. What he's saying is those who trust him they're going to set a seal on this, that God is true. What does it mean, set a seal? Well, back in the day, they had, uh, you know, wax. And when they sealed documents or sealed uh, 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 legal documents even, they would put a wax blob on a piece of paper at the end of it. They'd sign it, and then they'd put that wax there, and then they'd put their seal in that wax. What he's saying is anybody who believes is putting their seal to the fact that God is true. And this testimony is true. Amen? Now verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Christ, unlike us. Now we have the Holy Spirit right come on somebody we got the holy spirit but we got it in measure now all throughout history there were saints of old who were empowered to do things by the spirit and even saints in the new testament that did some things in the spirit amen but they were not full with the all the measure of the spirit they just had a little bit jesus here it said that he was full, without measure, completely full of the Spirit of God. And verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains upon him. This verse 35. All things. Man. Do we understand that? Do we comprehend this as much as we should? The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. So many times when we think about our own walk with Christ and we think, well, no, 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 God wouldn't do that for me and God isn't going to do that, but uh, oh, oh, that isn't what Christ came to do or this isn't Christ or, or maybe God can't do this. Remember Nicodemus's question? He said, how can these things be? 
Jesus said, with God, nothing is impossible. You got to understand, Jesus didn't come and, and live and die and, and just have a little bit of authority. It wasn't like God said, okay, here's, here's some authority, son, but you can't go too far because if you do, I'm going to rein you back in, okay? This isn't the kind of authority that we're talking about. The Bible says that the Father loved the Son and has given him all things into his hands. What things? Things on earth, things in heaven. Amen? Do we remember those verses? Remember John, uh, Matthew 28, 18. All power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Amen. All power. Not a little bit. Not God gave him, you know, uh, uh, so much power that it looks infinite to us, but the Father could just reel him back in anytime he wants. No. There was a great and wonderful thing happened when Jesus came and gave his life and rose from the dead. All power in heaven and earth has been given unto him. That's why we can worship him. That's why we can exalt him as God. That's why we can say, my Lord and my God, just like Thomas did. Because Jesus Christ has been given all power, all authority in heaven and earth. Amen. Not just a little bit. That way, I want you to remember this. In your Christian walk when you go, oh, I messed up. There's no way God can help me now. Nope. Wrong. He's got all power, all authority. Amen. The Bible says if I, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. How many times will he told Peter? Peter said, should we forgive seven times in a day? He told Peter, I tell you, seven times, 70 times in a day. Why? Because God will forgive anyone who comes and sincerely repents every time. Well, how can he do that? Because all power and all authority, all judgment ends with Christ. Period. Not a little bit. Not so much as the Father will allow him. But all things have been given into his hands. Amen? All things are in his hands. All things are in Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 has all power, all authority. Therefore, if you are truly his, you can rest assured he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete the work he started. If you want that verse, it's Philippians 1, 6. Write it down. Circle it in your Bible. Highlight it. Draw some arrows by it. Because that verse should comfort you. The question that we end with this morning is the same question that I ended with Wednesday when I was preaching just the gospel. All I did Wednesday night was preach the gospel. I went through what is the gospel I went through Christ is the gospel, that him crucified is the gospel. If you want a gospel in a nutshell, outside of the verses that we read, go read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, that he came and gave his life for you, that you would have eternal life. 
if only you will believe. That's the gospel. And John the Baptist sums it up in the last verse of this chapter. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now, I want you to note what it does not say. And I'm going to read it out of King James so you know I'm not pulling, your, uh, pulling the wool over your eyes too, okay? Verse 36 in the King James, he that believeth on the Son hath eternal life. Right? What does that say? It doesn't say you're going to have eternal life. It doesn't say you, you, you can look forward to eternal life. It says you have it. Why? Because the same reason John 3.18 says, he that believes, well, uh, let's go read it. John 3.18, I don't want to mess it up. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's in the present tense, right? The next one says, he, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Amen? So we understand that this is a right now and a looking forward to. Amen? So on this earth, I'm saved and I'm being saved. Amen? I'm saved right now. I'm born again right now. I have eternal life right now. And one of these days, I'm going to grab a hold of that completely. Amen? I want to finish this. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Now I want to finish this. Why does it say the wrath of God abideth on him? For the same reason in John 3.18 says that that person stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Why? Because we all stand condemned outside of faith in Christ. Period. Right now. If there's somebody that is in, if somebody's watching this and they go, well, I'm not saved, I'm not born again, you are standing in the wrath of God right now. The only way that changes is when we have faith in Christ. When we believe the gospel, when we're born again, that's the only time that the wrath of God is not put on us. That's the only time that the wrath of God is moved from me to the cross. Because that's what happens when you believe. What you're doing, what you, what, what's happening in you when you are coming to faith in Christ is that God has taken the condemnation that is justly and rightly yours. And he's applied it to the cross of his son. In your place, Jesus took your sin on the cross. And God, therefore, looks at Christ like he's you. And then when he looks at you, he sees Christ because he takes the righteousness of Christ. And he imputes it to you. That you, who are a dead, lifeless sinner, would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. And it's by faith alone. By grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. According to the word of God alone. And for God's glory alone. 
That's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 ends with this phrase, lest any man should boast. Why did God do it this way? So that you or I or her or him could not take credit for saving ourselves. Number one, we were incapable of saving ourselves. Amen? Number two, he deserves all the glory and all the honor because he set us free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? Stand to your feet. We'll pray. Father God, I pray this morning, just as I did Wednesday night, that those who have heard the message of the gospel this morning, whether they be in this room or whether they're watching the Facebook Live or whether they're going to hear the podcast later, God, we pray that you would help them to know, to believe, to come to faith in Christ, that they would hear the gospel and they would be born again. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we celebrate Independence Day today, Lord, that Rightly so, we, we rejoice that we live in a country that is free and offers us the experience of living and worshiping you in spirit and in truth with more freedom than many other countries in this world have. But as we celebrate the Independence Day, the independence of this country, God, I pray that today would be a day that people are born again and that they could celebrate true independence, freedom from sin, freedom from death, hell, and the grave that only can be found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you would remind us constantly, continually, of your steadfast love. Help us hold fast to our profession of faith. Lord, I pray that you would bless the food that we're about to receive and the fellowship we will be partaking of, that it be done for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.